Welcome to the Hands in Motion podcast, brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. Here we will discuss all things upper extremity therapy, from assessment to treatment, the latest research, the patient experience, and other topics related to the field of upper extremity rehab. Learn more and subscribe today at ASHT.org. Welcome back to another episode of Hands in Motion. On this episode, Stephanie and I are joined by Danielle Sparks, an occupational therapist and certified hand therapist who currently serves as the director of ASHT's practice division. She gives us the inside scoop on the practice division and how ASHT, along with our legislative consultants, advocate for our profession and how you can get involved as well. Welcome to Hands in Motion, Danielle. Welcome, Danielle. We're so excited to have you on this episode. Why don't you give us a little intro about yourself? Tell us where you work, your involvement with ASHT, any fun facts, any of that. (laughs) Well, I'm Danielle Sparks. I am the Director of Therapy at the Indiana Hand to Shoulder Center. And I've been there since basically since I graduated. I've always worked there and it's been about 13 years now, I believe. So uh, always a hand therapist and I love hand therapy very much. I am the current practice division director for ASHT and have really been enjoying this role and advocating and the legislative stuff. And yeah, excited to talk about that today. And as far as I don't really have a lot of fun facts or anything like that, but (laughs) that's okay. (laughs) I work and I play golf and things like that. But yeah, excited to be here with you guys today. And thanks for having me. Yeah. So you mentioned that you are the director for the practice division. What exactly is the practice division for those of our listeners who have no idea or never heard that? Great question. Because when I got into volunteering, I didn't know nearly the amount that I know about ASHT now. It's really been interesting to just learn some of that like foundational stuff about the organization. But the practice division, we we have a couple of roles, but one of our main roles is to inform members about any current or pending legislation, any regulatory things that are happening or industry things that are happening that affect hand therapy kind of specifically. Or we really try to focus our attention on hand therapy topics, although some things affect us and OT and PT as a whole. But we also, of course, know we have AOTA and APTA that are dealing with some of the bigger, higher level OTPT things. So we really focus on hand therapy specific issues. We try to support hand therapists in any way we can as far as communicating with each other, like through our e-community, We try to provide a lot of resources on our website. We've done a ton with kind of revamping, updating that and keeping it as current as we can. And just as a division, kind of connecting with different legislative consultants and anybody who's kind of like a stakeholder in some of the issues that we also care about. So just kind of utilizing any avenues we can to engage any hand therapists, members of ASHT, of course, and anyone who are worried about some of the same issues we are too. So keeping connections and all that type of stuff. Yeah. That's kind of what, what the division does as a whole and a little more background just to give you guys. We have three sections of the practice division. Our committees are practice management really focuses on the day-to-day aspects of hand therapy and how do I bill for this? How do I document this, those type of things. Again, on the website, there's a lot of information there on those type of things. And then we have an advocacy committee and that kind of 
it's everything, you know, like it kind of bleeds into the, all the committees. But then we have the federal and state, and that's a little bit more focused on what's happening with the fee schedule and Medicare and some of those things. So I'll be honest, I think this is a topic that can be a little overwhelming, especially for a hand therapist. I go into the clinic, I see my patients, I write my notes, I go home, I repeat that the next day. And I'm not always the most concerned or active with maybe what's going on. I live in Texas down in Austin, or maybe what's happening in Washington, D.C., and it can seem a little overwhelming. So how does the practice division bridge that gap for us therapists and our legislators? And and even, to my understanding, we have some staff members or consultants that ASHT works with too. Correct. And I think that's something that probably a lot of members don't know as part of our membership. That's such a huge benefit. We have two legislative consultants that kind of work with us directly. Their names are Julie Schroyer and James Fleischman, and they're wonderful. They're very in tune with what we care about as an organization. They're very good listeners when we talk about different issues and things that are kind of on our minds. I'm able to connect with them very easily personally, and I probably am the person that talks to them the most or kind of engages them the most, but they are wonderful advocates for us. And they do kind of have eyes and ears live in DC. They have spent their careers doing this type of work and really do. I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I can just tell they care about what I care about when I tell them about my complaints or like, oh, this isn't happening for us or whatever. I, I just can tell they like grab onto that and they take it and they want to do something to activate us as an organization. So that's awesome. The other huge benefit of them is they have connections in DC, but specifically with other organizations like AOTA and APTA, they all have legislative consultants. And Julie and James are regularly seeing them at different events. They're able to touch base on different things that we may have overlapping interests on. I've been on many calls with all three organizations and their legislative consultants and maybe a therapist or two. Marsha Lawrence sometimes is on there with us. And they're really watching out on a bigger level. As far as what a therapist can do in your own state, we do have opportunities within the practice division as far as volunteering that I think helps people kind of engage a little bit more as far as keeping an eye on what's happening in your state. Maybe United Healthcare is starting to deny certain codes for whatever reason, or starting to require some new authorization. Well, that doesn't always happen in every state. So it's not something that maybe we would be aware of. And I don't even think everyone realizes that, that it's not always on a national level that some of these things start to happen. But I think it helps people tune in because if I hear in Ohio that they have this issue with Optum or whoever, then it kind of makes me go, oh, let me check and see if that's happening here too. So I think just being a part of the division alone, it really is valuable as a volunteer. And then joining any like email list type of things for Medicare or even within your own state, if you have a state organization as well, I think that also keeps you really in tune with what's happening very close to home. Because I know some states have less active organizations, but 
my state's pretty good about even just basic information and, and rallying people to help when they need support or things like that. But yeah, so I think that's kind of bigger picture overview type of things that we do as a division and as a therapist that you can do or be thinking about just to get your foot in, in the door a little bit or, and knowing that that's out there, I think is really helpful. I don't know exactly when we started having our legislative consultants. I think it was around 2018. And I joined the division a little bit before we started having regular consultant services. And it's been so nice. I mean, we get regular communication updates and things like that. So, Yeah, I had the opportunity at the board meeting this past year at our annual meeting in Washington, D.C. They were both at the board meeting, and that was the first time I met the consultants as well. And I agree, you can definitely feel their passion for the topics or the subjects that we're interested in or or what you conveyed to them that we were interested in. It was definitely something you could see. You know, it wasn't like they were just there doing a job. And I, I didn't realize that, I mean, I kind of had heard we had consultants, but I was like, well, what exactly do they do? You know, they do all the lobbying for us in Washington, D.C., correct? Yeah, I wouldn't say they're lobbying, but they're advocating as maybe a little less formal of a sense, but they are, yeah, in D.C., eyes and ears listening to what, oh, so-and-so, Senator so-and-so may be working on this, or, you know, this person's getting ready to leave office and is trying to push some bills through to, you know, get their goals met or whatever, things like that, that they kind of just have like an insider's view that there's no way any of us probably could ever have (laughs) just being busy working people, even if you love politics, which, you know, probably most people try to avoid a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Julie, I remember her talking about this, I think at the annual meeting, how there was just an event that they were at where they could kind of play off each other as far as the people they know from AOTA and APTA, where we know there's this certain bill that we don't really love. And here's the reasons why. And they're in a conversation with a representative and a senator, and they're able to kind of kind of slyly say a certain thing. The other person's <laughs> going to be like, oh, you have a great point. And you know, it's just that type of collaboration that's not seen by even me. You know, I don't see that, but I hear about it after and it's like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And like, what a benefit as a member that we don't even realize. And, you know, it's one of those things I'm sure we could never totally realize as, as members of ASHT, but that is out there and it's happening. And it's like, you know, makes me feel good that... <laughs> There's people out there kind of watching out and informing us of things we need to be watching over as well. The first time that I really even paid attention, and maybe that's naive of me, but the big thing that pops in my mind was the time when they wanted to take orthotic fabrication out of our practice realm. And I know a lot of persons or group from ASHT, whatever, were able to go and try to meet to get that overturned. And that was one thing, I guess overturned is that the right term you would use, but that was not passed through. So that was like the first time that I really kind of paid attention that we actually had somebody that did, you know, advocated for us as far as those things go. I never really understood how that worked. So, and that was a couple years ago go maybe five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's been several years. What I remember about that and appreciate is 
ASHT sending out, because again, this can be overwhelming and where do you start? But I appreciated, I believe it was ASHT sent out like a form letter that you could send to your congressman, whomever you're sending, and you just had to fill in name, didn't have to add much. I mean, the work was done for you. And I remember I sent that out to my coworkers. I sent it out to former coworkers, any PTOT, even if they weren't hand therapists. Hey, please, please send this letter. So I, I appreciated that a lot of that legwork was done for me, but I could still put my name on it in support of that. And all that work, that letter, I guess I would assume would have been done by the practice division. Yeah, usually if we aren't working on that fairly independently, we're consulting with our legislative consultants and the board. Sometimes even we escalate it to them as well and get many people's view to get a final product. What I was going to add to that is we actually have, also, I don't know the year that this started, but we have our legislative action center. Hopefully people realize that's there too. And there's not always something actively happening, but basically that's just a platform that there is a, like a stock letter that's created for a certain issue or topic where you can fill in. And I mean, they couldn't make it easier. You like click the picture of your representative or senator and it sends it like through this portal. It's even available to non-members. So like how awesome that you could have patients, family, friends, other therapists, any constituents, you know, they could hear from that have any detail or information to add is so great. So it it really helps us like our voices be heard in that way. I think the first time I came across it was at the same time with the orthotic letter. And I was amazed I was a little taken aback when I logged in and it knew immediately, I guess, from my just my information, but it knew even my state representative was on there. I had to do no work and it linked to their email addresses. I could send that letter to their staff, whatever. And then I believe even one time speaking to the non-member, I don't think I was logged in and just put in a zip code and it found who represented that area. So I think that that's so helpful. I think that takes a lot of the legwork out for people and makes it that much easier to contribute. Yeah, we did a big push. Around the time of the annual meeting, there was a lot of stuff happening related to the fee cuts, the payment cuts for this year in the Senate and in the House. There were different bills going at the same time. And so it was announced at the annual meeting, which was really cool and live and active. Then we had a QR code like ready to go. And then I think the House one came a couple days after the meeting. And so we were blasting emails out for people to send their support. And we can even see like, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, like how many people participated in that. And so that's really cool to see too, how many people we were able to like gather and get the bigger group voice heard. So that that little tool is just really cool. And currently right now, there's nothing actively that we're have any, you know, grassroots efforts on with any letter campaigns or anything like that. But it's always there for us. And pretty quickly, we can put something up if we need to, if if there's something urgently kind of coming up through the works of Senate, House, whatever. So, yeah. So if anybody was interested, like how many members are there within the practice division? How large is it? Do you have an open call for volunteers? Are there smaller roles that people can do to just take to, you know, kind of get their feet wet? Any information on that? 
we're kind of always open for volunteers. We're a smaller division than some of the other divisions within ASHT. And I think it's just maybe an area people are a little more intimidated by. But I have like absolutely loved it. I just kind of jumped in a little bit blindly. I didn't really know that much about, you know, like I knew the bullet points of what they did, but it's been so enlightening. You just like learn so much background to what's going on. But we have all different sorts of roles available in each committee. And then we also have, if someone's like, "Ah, I don't know, I'm just, I'm so busy. I don't, you know, got a lot of things going on. I don't want to commit. We also have a state liaison option for anyone who just kind of wants to be our eyes and ears in your particular state. I think we have 11 states represented amongst our members. A couple are overlapped, like a couple people in Ohio, a couple people here and there, but we're able to kind of keep a little closer tabs if we we just have a member that goes, hey, I'm, I'll keep an ear out and I'll keep you guys informed if I hear anything. And members do that anyway, but it's nice to have someone who's, you know, takes a little bit more ownership of that. Or even if it's not every single state, because it's, it's a little bit hard, I think, to capture every state. If someone takes a region of a couple states and, you know, with some of the way that people live on ordering towns and they travel at, you know, different clinics and things like that, sometimes that is really nice because they can cover our bases in Connecticut and New York or things like that. But that's like a nice micro volunteering option to kind of get involved and just see what it's about. We do a monthly call pretty much every month. I think there's a month or two that usually we skip because of the meeting or our webinar last week or, you know, things like that. But generally it's short. I try to keep it like 30 to 45 minutes at the most. And we just kind of do a rundown of like, what's going on? What are we trying to work on? And then kind of break into smaller groups. If there's, you know, any specific tasks, like I mentioned, we, some of the types of things we do on like a more regular basis, we do update the website, like I mentioned. So we just have gone through like, okay, make sure this is like relevant still. It's not, there's no more G code information needed or some of that stuff that's just gone away over time and update that, any newer things that need to be added, kind of recognizing what people might care about and creating something if we don't have it. And then we also have been updating all of our position papers and not all of them have had tons of change, but just making sure they're fresh, they've been reviewed, they're still relevant and and active. And and some of those position papers I think are so important because there could be times those could be used in a really real way in court, in all sorts of avenues. If we were ever talking to a legislator directly, some of those documents could be really helpful in orthotics or modalities or whatever we're talking about. But so that's another thing we kind of look at, review, make sure is up to date. And then of course we keep an eye on all the legislative stuff. And and that we of course have to help with with our legislative consultants. But when we do like get the Medicare fee schedule, it usually comes out in late summer. Then we have to kind of go through, okay, what do we want to how do we want to put together a letter of support or disapproval of certain items and like the cuts and things like that. And we submit that and keep trying to fight the fight on those things. So year after year. <laughs> so I am also on the education division as well. And just in one of our student offering committee meetings that was brought up that there may be students or a student who is interested in doing their capstone in advocacy through ASHT. You know, it's interesting as a student, you know about your profession, but to really jump in at that level for advocacy, I just find that kind of interesting and that the younger 
professionals are or professionals to be are taking an interest so early. I mean, I was in my late, you know, mid 40s, late 40s till I'm like, oh, we have people who advocate for us, really? <laughs> you know, and that just maybe I naive, but I was just worried about getting through the day and treating patients and knowing that there's so much work that goes on to make all of what we do, our practice, make it run just from that point of view. Yeah, for sure. And I think about as a newer therapist, just like not even totally understanding how insurance works. And like, that sounds so silly, but like you just grow up, you go into the world and you're like, what? And patients ask you and you're kind of trying to stumble through it. And I just feel like I get the bigger picture so much more over time being in the industry of healthcare, but then also digging into some of this work legislatively and with different insurance companies. And it's like, wow, that's so interesting. That's so crazy. You know, I never knew that. And it's like all the time, things like that come up where you're just like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was a issue for (laughs) this area or that area or whatever. So always something new. So like, what could you do if, say, for example, like one of the insurances that one of my patients has, they don't pay for, for example, like electric stim or a certain modality or a certain treatment intervention. What can we do as clinicians and what can we teach or instruct the patients in, in the help changing that and maybe getting that modality or therapeutic intervention covered by the insurance? Is that something that you guys would have a role in? It might kind of depend. I would say probably the first place to go would be research and data, which is a little out of our division. That's a whole other division within the ASHT. But usually that's what the insurance companies are looking for is some type of data to back up why we're doing what we're doing. And I think it seems so old, old school, but like just writing a well-written letter describing some of the scenarios can be very eye-opening to someone who's making those decisions in an insurance company because they are not typically, I've never met one, that's a therapist. I mean, let alone where they even in the medical field, they know their plans and their company very well, but they don't know practice very well in whatever the area is. And so just giving them that education, I think that alone is advocating for a profession because there's a little bit of an eye-opening that's happening. Will you change your mind? Maybe, maybe not. But if then you can also back that up with some research articles that you can send. I've quoted multiple research articles and different communications. And, you know, I've been on some peer-to-peer calls. Just This is outside of the division, just in my work. And like, that's not true. Research does prove that this orthosis is helpful. And just kind of pushing back with this, I think it is, was a physician I was talking to. And they, they changed, they overturned the decision. It's annoying that you have to do the call to begin with, but you at least still feel like, okay, it's heard. And maybe the next time they'll think twice a little bit on the next one or the next one. So yeah, it's hard to overturn some of those rules because they're so high up in some of those organizations Sometimes it depends on the state and the state practice act. So there's a lot of variables, but there's definitely things you can do as an individual to help in some of those scenarios. Yeah. So as a clinician, I mean, I've gone through several peer-to-peer and I have not had anybody come back to me and say, no, we're still not covering it. And if you state your case and go through that little bit of extra work, most of the time they're like, oh, okay. You know, like, 
I'm like, do you know how many pounds of grip strength you need to do your ADLs? And she's like, no. I'm like, well, I'll tell you. And this patient only has two pounds of grip strength. So that's not going to work. You know, so just like you said, pushing back a little bit. And that is advocacy, even if in it's the small way that it is, you know, like you had mentioned earlier. But yeah, I just, I think all of us as clinicians may be able to advocate in small ways just like that. Maybe not at the big legislative level, but just starting little. Yeah, I I am such a, I love, we all do, anyone listening to this, I'm sure. You love what you do and you know how much it matters. And it just like breaks your heart when you see an orthosis denied or a whatever denial, like watching your colleague pour their heart into a treatment session and to see it, you know, not get paid or whatever. It's very frustrating, but Ultimately, I think it's a lot of the little things that really add up and none of them have to be formal. I mean, it's conversations with colleagues and docs and APPs and, you know, different parts of the healthcare system where maybe they don't realize all the things we can do and how effective we can be as far as advocating in general and then advocating with insurance companies and saying, no, no, that's not right. I listened to my Medicare 2023 webinar last week. And I know that Medicare does not make people do this. And I won't say the insurance, but I have had a number of calls with one for us that they're just kept trying to cause these denials saying that, well, Medicare requires this, whatever specific type of documentation. And I'm going, I know they don't. I know this. (laughs) You're telling (laughs) the wrong person. I know this. That is not true. (laughs) And I don't accept it. And they came back with what they said. And and there was a little bit of give on my end and something that was slight, slight that we changed. But it was, I think, very educational for them. And it felt really good to go, no, like I've done the research (laughs) or, you know, I've looked into this and I know this is not that's an interpretation and you can't apply these rules. And I think as therapists, you go, are you doing this to physicians and surgeons? I don't think so. It's like, why do they think they can just get away with this with therapists? And you know, that we don't have as big of organizations and we have our numbers, but we don't have some of the backing that some of their true lobbyists have. And so I feel like they kind of take little inches where they can and sometimes I think they, they really push too hard against therapy and it's definitely matters. So the little things like that, and just one simple phone call, it might change that person's mind a little bit when they have the next thing that comes around and, and like, Oh no, this therapist, they won't like us changing this. <laughs> like They're going to fight back <laughs> if we try to make them get authorization for this or that. So, so it might just give that little bit of pause that, you know, reminds everyone that the importance and value of therapy and hand therapy specifically. So I know you mentioned that there isn't anything really big that obviously there's not like a call for letters or anything right now from members, but is there anything that this division and our consultants are watching closely that maybe we should be keeping our ears open a little bit for over these next few months? Yeah. You know, this past couple of years, there's been a couple of themes that have kind of each year been recirculating. And telehealth is one of them. And I don't think there's anything very urgent coming on that. The consensus that I've kind of gotten from our legislative consultants is that Congress, they want to get more data. They want to, you know, get a better picture of what's happening and 
the system as a whole before they make a final decision. So I think that's going to be a slower moving thing. But we did get included through 2020, the end of 2024, to be included in the ability to provide telehealth beyond that, the PHE. So that was a great win. We had a few other ones. One thing, like I said, the, the themes that we keep hearing is the payment cuts. That's something that they just keep kicking the can down the road. Oh, we're going to cut you eight and a half percent. Well, now it's going to be three. And then this one, we're going to delay for two more years. And they just keep doing that type of thing. And it's really been interesting because there's just been a push. There's been a number of organizations that have kind of gotten together for letters and things like that. And, and ASHT has signed on to these letters to be included in that. But the list is like, I mean, almost any organization you can think of, dermatology, ophthalmology, just across the board, all different areas of healthcare, signing on to these letters and saying, hey, Congress, we need you to find a solution to this. This is crazy every year. We're spinning our wheels. Medicare's, you know, I'm sure it's not good for them either. Why do they want to keep going through this process? It's just like a frustrating thing. So like, let's do something. And the only sad part about it is everything moves so slow in ways in Washington, I think, because it's a big problem. It's hard to imagine exactly how they're going to approach it. But the good thing is, is there's these groups and they're like tapping on their window. Hey, hey, we're here. We're going to keep talking about this. And because of our legislative consultant relationships, we're a part of that conversation, which I think is great. We did have a, if anyone's interested in this type of stuff, we did have a webinar last week that's free for members. I think you can access it now on the website. Myself and Angie Stevenson presented that. She's our practice management committee chair. And that had a lot of the updates and a little more detail and some of the things that aren't as big in that too, if, if you're interested in that, it's it's got a lot of really exciting information. <laughs> but, but it really is super informational, I hope, I believe. There's always like good questions. You're like, oh, yeah, and then think about that that way. Or, you know, in, in this person's specific role or work life, this is a thing they're encountering that's maybe just not on our radar as much. And so it's like, oh, that cues us into that. It's really helpful. And, that, you know, hopefully that reaches a lot of other people that, oh, yeah, that's me too. And that question helped me. But the other thing that to me is like my biggest thing that I'm like, I don't know the right word, but I'm working on very hard is the denials of the orthotic L code, same and similar, reasonable, useful lifetime. I feel like I can call it like a couple of different names, but essentially Medicare denying orthotics that a patient has received in the past five years. And the new thing that started happening in 2022 is that they started denying any code in the upper extremity against other codes in the upper extremity. So L3906 is your Ristimo. Well, sometimes that's getting denied against a L3913 short opponents, which we all know is a very different orthosis for a very different purpose. But if we're not kind of following these exact rules and going through all these hoops, you're just going to get a denial. And that's, to me, like infuriating. It's wrong, like just flat out wrong. And it's a lot of additional time and burden on us as providers. And that also is wrong. And I don't really think that's Medicare's intention. I think they are just trying to prevent other issues of fraud and waste and things like that in the system. I don't think hand therapy is their problem, but we're just kind of like victims of this this issue. And unfortunately, I have been to a lot of 
Medicare workshops. I listen to lots of webinars. I've had many different conversations with different entities within CMS or my Mac who processes those claims and makes those decisions. And they just kind of point the fingers at each other like, oh, you need to go over there. And then we go over there and they go, no, no, you need to go over there. And we just are not getting a solution. So it's very frustrating and it's disappointing really overall, but it's one of those things that like, I just feel like very, very strongly about this. So I, it's just like, I don't accept where we're at and I'm trying to find some other avenues. There's nothing actively actually happening with this. It's just happening to us right now. So, and I feel like a lot of therapists started to really notice this because we were getting some conversation on your community like late summer last year, but I think the denials actually started happening a little earlier in the year. It just takes a while to like see it. And so by now, I think probably everyone's a little more in tune to it, but you know, it's a significant thing. And again, like I said, I just think it's wrong. I just don't think it, I don't think it's doing what they intend for it to do. I think it's denying things that really is medically necessary and is warranted. And I don't think Medicare is just trying to like Say no, just to say no. Yeah. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. just, I just think the system is wrong and they don't know the right way to fix it. So that's out there and on the radar for sure. I don't know what the solution is, but it's definitely something I talk about on every single call. (laughs) It's something that I think about probably every, almost every day (laughs) in my own practice, in my own work. I'd be interested to know if they actually have clinicians and therapists that are (laughs) like assisting in making these, like, who comes up with these ideas? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they just... are therapists. I think it's an algorithm, <laughs> honestly. I think it's a computer really? system. They see a code, they see a, a time frame, denied. And, you know, yeah. it, it's a grouping. And that's so codes, wrong. But, mm-hmm, yeah. And a dollar sign. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, so you go through this. I'll go on a little bit of a rant here if you guys don't mind. But you nope. go in, in the process <laughs> of the redetermination. And the redetermination process is very time consuming. And I actually have some people in my company in the billing department that help to do these. So if I had to do this completely independently, I don't even know what I would do. It would take me a long time. So I just give her a few sentences describing what happened. And then she can take that, send all the documentation. And sometimes we get it overturned. They are better with that process than they used to be. But if they still decide they don't agree, then you can take it to another level of appeals. And it's the same thing. You have to write a letter, you have to send all the documentation. And I recently did three at the next level, level three uh, appeal. And that was actually, I was on a phone call with a judge. They had to swear me in with my, (laughs) you can see me, and I had to explain (laughs) the scenario. And what was so crazy about it, because I wasn't doing this because I thought it was good use of my time. It's not. It's literally not. I don't recommend people do it. I kind of want it for evidence for something I can take and go, here's a great example of the ridiculousness and the time wasted at every level. And then out of the three, two did get overturned at that level. And isn't that so crazy? Like that you had to go like that it took that much. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, for each one, it probably took an hour and a half of time. And if I have, I don't know how many of those a month, that's just ridiculous, you know, plus the phone call time and on and on. So personally, I care about it because I live this (laughs) process and appeals, but I also 
like I said, I watch my coworker make this beautiful dynamic orthosis and she spends all this time and does all this, you know, crazy, interesting, creative things. And because that person got dorsal blocking splint a month ago in the start of their care, that new one isn't going to be approved. And that's just so problematic in my head. So anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> <laughs> and probably most therapists don't maybe see that side of it because they have someone else in their building that's dealing with denials or a billing department, or maybe you're not a DME supplier, which I highly recommend. It's a good thing if you can do it within your organization. So you might not be billing the L codes, but it's just, I think important that everyone knows that's happening or what the options are. We don't just go, okay, it's not, okay, oh, well, because like we should be fighting for this. And then I got a stack of paper, you know, this big of like, okay, they, they want some examples. I got them. I'm ready to go with those examples when I, you know, get a chance to speak with someone who will maybe be a decision maker in some fashion. So. Well, and the time that it took you to do all of that, the time that it's taking Medicare and they're paying someone to do this. And like, do they not recognize that if you just taken the hour to make the orthosis and they paid it, they would have saved money in the whole situation exactly. in the grand, in the grand exactly. scheme of things. Like you could have saved yourself a lot of money. Those indirect costs from everyone's time and effort. And that time could be used for Medicare staff or whomever to deal with something different. Exactly. Or if you imagine that judge, that judge for the 30 minutes on the phone probably costs more than the orthosis. Yes. It's crazy. And you know, then I get even to a bigger level about like, I'm a taxpayer. This is crazy. My parents get Medicare. This is crazy. You know, you you can go higher and higher level with this beyond just the hand therapy world, but they don't know how to get out of some of the problems that have been created over like decades. So I'm not like bitter or angry, but I'm, I'm just frustrated. Like I've been disappointed. It's something I think can be fixed and I want to work on this and we'll keep trying. The practice division is here to do that. Everyone, I think they're probably sick of me talking about it, but I know they all think the same things and they're like, what about this? What about that? And kind of bring some ideas and it's, it's fun to talk about and think through in different ways. So. Well, you're advocating for your patients. You're advocating for your profession. And so I know your patients appreciate that. I guess trickle down. All of our patients appreciate that to some extent. And then obviously we as a profession appreciate the advocacy that's happening both in our, just in our organization and then the greater whole too. So yeah, we appreciate that work that's being done. (laughs) And I think too, just the work that's been put in the last few years to elevate just the offerings from ASHT to make it easier for, for people like myself who find it a little intimidating that it was so easy to go on that website on the Legislative Action Center and click a link and Oh, popped up an email address for my senator and I sent a letter. So I appreciate ASHTs, they recognize the importance of that and putting in the time and effort for that. Yeah, there are many boards, I think, over many years prior that have kind of gotten to these decisions. And it's like, it's a wonderful thing. And like, I don't know that we all appreciate it enough sometimes. I mean, just being an outsider of ASHT and just, you know, oh, like, how are you not a member? You talk to someone like, oh my gosh, it's like, such a benefit. And, and I'm, I mean, I get it. People have things going on, but it's like, when you really like look at it, you go, wow, that's 
pretty amazing. Like all the different things always happening. We don't always see it. It's not always right in our face. Like this happened, this happened, this changed this, you know, but I think there's a lot of things that are probably much more subtle that are, that are benefiting us over time too. trickle down effect. Yeah. Yep. Well, Danielle, we appreciate you spending some time with us and telling us about the division and just how ASHT is working to advocate for our profession. And so thank you, one, for just your work and leading that division, but also thank you for joining us. Well, thanks yeah, for having thank me. You. I know this isn't the most like interesting, cool, new, emerging therapy thing, but, <laughs> but it's important. <laughs> and hopefully, it is important. Hopefully it kind of kept you a little bit interested <laughs> Like I said, for all the detail, we got webinars and lots of other things out there too. Yeah. So. Yes. Well, yeah, you're definitely. you're making it accessible. You're making it. I think every time I hear, whether it's an annual meeting and I hear y'all talk and bring up different topics, my ears get a little bit more perked to what's happening and a little more invested and that pull to get involved a little more with this topic. So that can be intimidating, but ASHT makes it a little easier. So we appreciate you. Thank you for having me. And thanks anyone listening and (laughs) all the members and non-member hand therapists. It's great to have this platform to be together. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hands in Motion brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. You can listen on the ASHT website and or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Google, Amazon Music and Spotify. Once subscribed, please rate and review the podcast to help us reach new listeners and continue to offer valuable, relevant content. You've been listening to Hands in Motion, brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. To learn more about ASHT and to subscribe to the show, please visit ASHT.org. We'll see you next time on the Hands in Motion podcast. Hands in Motion.